Chapter Seven of Captain Ted by Mary T. Wagman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Seven, Beginning Business. Ted's business life began next day. Nine o'clock found him at the top of the beanstalk, rosy and bright from his long walk, for he disdained the luxury of a ride. Mr. Sharkey was at his desk and welcomed him with an odd glance from his dark eyes. "'You're on time,' he said briefly. "'Yes, sir. You can count on me for that always. Mother will see to it. She is so pleased that I have a good place. She told me to thank you in her name for taking me at my own word. But she says if you want references—' "'Not at all,' interrupted the gentleman hastily. "'References are quite unnecessary. We take you on your own word, as you say. You can sit down there at the desk, and I will find you work to begin at once.' And Ted pulled off his overcoat and took his seat in the highly varnished stool before a very shiny desk that was screened from the main room and was ready to begin his commercial career. We are, ahem, money brokers, Mr. Sharkey went on, and he pulled down several of the large new account books from the shelves. I suppose you know what that means. Not, not exactly, sir, answered Ted frankly, but I can learn, I am sure. You can learn, no doubt, observed Mr. Sharkey with the unpleasant smile that made his face look darker than before. In the meantime, for a beginning, just look over this directory and copy in your account book the names and addresses of all the lawyers in the city so we can send them our circulars. Be careful that you get them all, and remember there is no hurry. Take your time. Yes, sir, answered Ted, very much impressed with the importance of his firm. I will be very careful indeed. And so, with all the pleasant appurtenances, of brand-new account books, spotless blotting pad, shining pins, and silver-mounted inkstand, began Ted's connection with Messrs. Trapp and Sharkey, and his hunt through the directory, the legal lights of the city. It kept him very busy, too busy to notice that Mr. Trapp and Mr. Sharkey's office was a very queer place indeed. The big account books on their desks were never opened, the new letterpress was never used, and there was seldom any mail delivered to the firm at the top of the beanstalk. Luckily, as Ted thought, when he found the lawyers becoming monotonous, he was sent on errands to distant parts of the city, and when he came back he would find the office door locked and strange men shut up inside with the firm, talking and smoking, and Mr. Trapp's face was often red and his speech thick, though Mr. Sharkey was always quiet and dark and cool. Jim Lane did not appear at all during the week. He was away, his employer said, on a special business of great importance. "'Well, how do you like your job?' asked Mr. Sharkey, as, when the week was up, he laid a ten-dollar note on Ted's desk. First rate, sir,' answered Ted brightly. "'I'm only sorry I couldn't get on faster with my work, but there are a lot of lawyers in town. I've got down only to the Jays.' "'Oh, that's all right,' said Mr. Sharkey. "'You're doing very well.' "'Thank you, sir. I wasn't sure. I may tell Mother, then, that you are satisfied?' Mr. Sharkey hesitated. "'Oh, yes, yes,' he said. "'Tell her you're doing all right.' "'And I'm ready for night work whenever you have it for me,' continued Ted. "'I told Mother she mustn't be anxious if I was out late sometimes, and she said she wouldn't. She knew I'd be quite safe here with you. So, if you want me to stay and finish up my work—' "'No,' said Mr. Sharkey in a harsh voice. "'Not—not not yet. We may have use for you later. But not—not not yet. You can go home now.' "'Thank you, sir. Good evening.' said Ted, and, as he started off blithely, with his first earnings buttoned up tight in his overcoat pocket, Mr. Sharkey flung himself back in his chair, 
and biting off the end of his long black cigar, began to smoke silently. We've got him hooked fast, laughed Mr. Trapp, who was reading his paper on the other side of the desk. I'm not so sure, was the brief reply. What? A softy like that. The imp is watching for him to take him out tonight. He will spend all his money and want more. That's the way it is done, Ned, my boy. We've been there ourselves and know. Yes, we know, answered Mr. Sharkey, puffing his black cigar, until the smoke clouded his dark face. We know. But we hadn't a mother trap. He has. Ted sprang away from the beanstalk this evening, feeling as if he were treading on air. Ten dollars in his pocket had been no novelty to him in the past, but ten dollars made by his own work, ten dollars earned by six days' laborious hunt after lawyers, ten dollars to slip into little mother's hand tonight for groceries and coal. Ah, this was something new and strange and delightful indeed. He felt he must walk home. He was so full of spring and life and gladness, no car could hold him this evening. But he had not gone half a dozen squares when a hand clapped him on the shoulder. Hello, Ted, said a familiar voice. Don't you know your old friends any more? It was Jim, but not the flashy Jim of a week before. Swell overcoat and knobby hat and yellow gloves were gone. This Jim was buttoned up in a coarse reefer with a red muffler about his neck and a worsted cap drawn over his ears. Why, Jim, old chap, exclaimed Ted cordially. When did you get back? Get back? echoed Jim. Why, oh yes, of course, just got back this evening. How are you getting on? Fine, answered Teddy jubilantly. Just been paid off for the week. Ten plunks, eh? Well, I suppose that will do for a beginning, though it wouldn't suit me. I've got a pocket full tonight, too. Let's see a little fun. Oh, I can't, said Ted decidedly. I haven't any money to fun with now, Jim. It's all got to go home. I don't want you to spend any money. I'll do the whole business myself. I'm standing by you straight through, Ted. I know you are, old fellow, answered Ted warmly. You've just been the best sort of friend, Jim, and I'll never forget it. But I can't do any frolicking even on you. I'm not in for that sort of thing now. I'm the rattle-pated kind, as old brother Michael used to say, and if I once got going, I'd never know when to stop. No, sir, I've got too much trouble on my hands now to start Teddy Thornton at his old monkeying, concluded the speaker, with his great-grandfather's look and nod. Pooh, said Jim lightly, don't turn into Miss Prissy, Ted. It can't hurt you to take a bite at the restaurant here with me. They do have oysters in fine style. We'll take in the Hippodrome afterward. There's a dandy show there tonight. Can't do it, Jim, replied Captain Ted. Haven't the money to spend myself, and won't sponge. Never did, and never will. But I'll tell you what, old fellow, you come home with me. There isn't much fun going on in our house just now, it's true, but we'll have hot flapjacks and syrup that can't be beat for supper, and we'll go out skating in the park afterward. The ice on the lake is fine, and I've got two pairs of London skates that go ahead of that wing-heeled mercury we used to study about. They fairly fly. Jim stared at the speaker silently for a moment. Home with Teddy Thornton. Home. It was a word that never had had a place in Jim's vocabulary. His two years at St. Elmer's had perhaps been the nearest to it that he had ever known. But even at St. Elmer's he had been a rebel, an outlaw. Home. Jim never remembered having gone home in all his fourteen years of life. Crowded boarding houses, flashy hotels, rooms where his father sat up all night playing cards while his stepmother went to dances and theaters. All these Jim had known, but home, never. He really felt a little curious to see what a home was like. Besides, 
He had his orders about holding on to this new recruit of Jack and Sharkey, and they must be obeyed. "'Your mother won't want me,' said Jem doubtfully. "'Oh, yes, she will,' answered Ted. "'Mother is always glad to see anybody I bring home. And she knows all about you, Jem. I told her.' Y "'You, you did?' said Jem. "'Yes, how good you had been to introduce me to your firm and get me to place,' continued Ted. "'She said boys didn't always stand by one another like that, and you must be the right kind of a friend. She'll be glad to see you all right. You can bet.' "'We will take the L here,' said Ted hospitably, feeling that he could not expect Jim to walk off with superabundant spirits. "'It will put us home in fifteen minutes.' And in that time they were indeed in a place that Jim felt was unknown land to him. Soft rugs, pretty curtains, and handsome furniture were no novelty. But there was in Teddy's home an air that Jim had never breathed before. His usual assurance quite deserted him when he found himself in the quiet library, where Kit and Nell were studying their lessons by the shaded lamp, and little Rick and Bowser were stretched together on the hearthrug before the glowing fire, and a sweet little lady, all in soft silvery gray, met him with smiling face and gentle words of welcome. Only Bowser growled, growled so persistently and inhospitably that he had to be sent out of the room for his bad manners, while Jim, seated on the soft cushioned divan beside Ted's mother, longed to kick the snarling brute, and wondered why he felt so hot and uncomfortable and choky when Ted drew out his ten dollars and told how fine Mr. Trapp and Mr. Sharkey were, and how pleased they seemed with him and how they told him he would be able to double his money as soon as he learned the business. "'And you will learn very soon, I am sure,' said Mrs. Thornton fondly. "'Father Barry was here today. He brought two gentlemen who would like to rent our upper rooms, Ted. He was saying how fortunate you were to get so good a place.' "'And Jim did it all,' said Ted, clapping his schoolmate's shoulder. "'It takes the old St. Elmer boys to stand by one another, doesn't it, Jim? And he was afraid to come home with me tonight.' "'Said maybe you wouldn't want him, mother,' laughed Ted, as if that were indeed a joke. "'Not want you, my dear boy. Not want such a friend of Ted's.' And Mrs. Thornton turned on Jim a reproachful glance that made him look anywhere but into those gentle eyes. Then Ted had to run upstairs to see Dad, who, propped up now in a big cushioned chair, still lived in a strange dream world that no trouble or worry seemed to reach. Ted sat down beside him and lifted the dear helpless hands to his lips, and told him he had a fine place downtown, and everything was okay. And Dad, whose brain had been so quick, and eyes so keen, and hands so strong to protect his boy, asked no further questions. "'That's right,' he said dully. "'All right, Ted. Good boy. Stand by your mother, Ted.' Ah, there seemed no one to watch, no one to warn Ted of the past of peril, into which he was so innocently venturing. No one to tell him that the beanstalk was a far more dangerous climbing place than that which grew in Jack's garden of old. No one to whisper that Trap and Sharky were a new kind of giant that lured boys by golden snares to sin and ruin, without giving the old-fashioned giants honest warning, I'll grind your bones to make my bread. For there are modern giants, much worse than the clumsy, old-fashioned, three-headed fellows, he roared and blundered after boys that they never caught. The modern giants never roar and never blunder, and they are pretty sure to catch. End of chapter 7 Recording by Maria Therese